What's going on, everybody, and uh, welcome back. Uh, today, I'm excited to have Stephen Arian, uh, one of my good friends, and I guess friend of friend of the show, uh, joining me today. Stephen, how's it going today? I'm good. I'm good. It's really warm here, as usual, at the moment, in the middle of summer. We're actually getting some sun in England, which is brilliant. Not always the case, but But today, that actually happens. <laughs> every now and then, when the moon aligns just right, you know, and uh, you pray to the right God, you get a little bit of sunshine. Yeah, it just like peeks through the cloud, and you have to go like <laughs> it'll rain in an it's hour. It's like finding the end of the rainbow. <laughs> mm -hmm. In an hour, it'll rain. Be like, that was summer. That was nice. I enjoyed yeah. that. Oh wow, a whole like four hours. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to England. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. It's like having fall here. It's it's like you know we get we don't normally get brutal winters. They're pretty mild, and then we get like just an atrocious summer, and then you get like three days where like. It's actually nice to be outside, and then you just get like thirty degree weather every day. You know, just you just never know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know what it's like not having sun. You know, most of the summer <laughs> <laughs> we get we get a fair bit. It's just sometimes we get you know mostly rain. rain. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of rain. I'm used to it. You know, <laughs> I I mean, you know, if if you live there your entire life, you just kind of like oh yeah, rainy season again. <laughs> Yeah, you're being very English by talking about the weather for starters. This is what we do all the time because it's so changeable. So right, you're being very British. So well done, well done for that. Awesome. <laughs> I'll, I'll check check that one off. Um, Bingo, so yeah. uh, just kind of want to start off. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself growing up. How you got into writing? Kind of how you got to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. So I, I've been reading fantasy as long as I can remember, all the way back to really early things like um, the Choose Your Own Adventure novels, the Jackson and Livingstone ones. I used to love them as a kid. And I started with C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. And then as I got older, things like David Eddings, and then a bit older, um, David Gemmell became a big influence in my teens uh, onwards. Um, and <laughs> I think when I was 18, I started writing my first novel, and it was awful like really awful but i was convinced it was good uh so i wrote the sequel uh for the for the trilogy convinced that you know obviously the first one was going to sell so therefore i should write the sequel <laughs> and it's better to go with two novels than one uh and of course I, it got absolutely rejected because it was appallingly bad and no one ever saw the second one that was finished <laughs> anyway so <laughs> I kept reading fantasy, I kept attending events, I kept going to like panels with agents and editors and just tried to absorb as much information as I could. And over the years, I wrote a number of books, got rejected, wrote another one, got rejected, did a sci-fi book, did a horror book. I joined writing forums, the internet grew up a bit. You could have like online um, versions where you'd, you'd critique six people and they'd critique yours and this kind of thing. And I joined groups and went to some big festivals in the UK and just kind of gradually built up my knowledge and my skill uh, until eventually in like 2013, my latest fantasy novel, I sent it off to an agent. Uh, and this time I got a reply saying, I'd like to see more. And uh, that kind of changed everything from then on, from 2013 on. So nearly, yeah, not 10 years yet, but uh, approaching, it's getting closer now all the time. I gotcha. Yeah, you know, I, I always, I always wonder, you know, when you, you send out your first, you know, queries, and you're like, "Hey, tell me if my book's any good." You know, how many, how many rejections do you go? And so you're like, "Okay, I think that's enough. Let's, let's try the next one." You know, like, is it, is it one? Is it just like one, like super hard no? Or is it like, <laughs> let's build up like 10, 20 of these, and then I'm really starting to feel the burn, and so let's go on to the next book. <laughs> Well, so when I started, you couldn't, uh, the internet was not anything like it was now. This is like in the early 2000s, remember? So this oh, is like. You're really dating us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, a bit, I'm older than I look. There's some gray in my hair and it's real. Um, so <laughs> you couldn't do anything through the internet. It was all through the post. So you'd send out the first five chapters or 10,000 words in a self addressed envelope. And when you heard that heavy thump of that envelope come through the door with your own handwriting on, you knew it was a rejection. It's like, oh, man. Oh. And uh, most of the time, they didn't give you any feedback. This was the problem. So I just, I'd just i work my way through the list of all of the writers that handled fantasy from the, the Writers and Artists yearbook. I'd, I'd just burn through them all. And if you got any feedback that was useful at all, it was rare. Most of the time, you just didn't get anything back. You just got your material returned. So you never knew why they rejected it. 
you know, the story, the writing, the just the, the way the plot unfolded, the characters, no idea. So you just have to keep trying and trying and trying. And I, I, I just go through all the fantasy um, agents because there weren't that many back then. There's a lot more now, but back then it was a case of picking through the list and finding those who do fantasy mm-hmm. um, because it was seen as quite... People were a bit embarrassed to be reading fantasy. There's still a little bit of that today in some quarters. Like when you say, I've said to someone, I write fantasy, and they're, and they're just kind of like, like stare at me like what do you mean like like with fairies and stuff i'm like well <laughs> no and then the, the best one i had was someone say what like adult fantasy i'm like no not that kind of fantasy either I'm like game of thrones you heard of that oh, I've heard <laughs> there's of that. no fairies in my books <laughs> but just like this yeah so back then it was quite different um but it's cha- it's changed now some people are still a bit weird about fantasy like when you had the the adult version covers of Harry Potter or all of the Game of Thrones books in all the supermarkets had really bland, meaningless covers that people would be not be ashamed to be reading. I'm thinking, you know, what's, you know, grow up. It's fantasy. It's an amazing genre. Why wouldn't you want to read it? Right. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to talk about fantasy novels like where I'm at. Cause I'm in Alabama. Like nobody here reads. I mean, you know, that's, that's what we're, you know, we're, we're like last in education as far as reading goes. So I mean, wow. Like, Come on. Um, and so, you know, whenever people are like, so what do you like to do? You know, like as a hobby, it's like, oh, I really love to read, you know, like fantasy and science fiction and stuff. They're like, oh. And then you just go to the next thing. That's like, the no, other nobody, conversation. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> nobody's like, tell me more about that. You know, they're like, oh, so like Harry Potter and stuff. I'm like, I mean, yeah, but like bo- there's – do you know how big this is? ago. Yeah. I'm like, you know, when I first started reading, but, you know, right. now it's – it's everywhere. Well, look behind people, you and me, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know. But people are like, oh, you know, now now it's like, well, I, I watch Shadow and Bone. I love fantasy. It's like, that, that's all you got? Then sure, cool. You know, I've seen The Witcher. All right. Yeah, Good. yeah. Cool. You know, I played the video game. I, I got it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it's 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 not. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know whenever that stigma, if you want to call it a stigma, is ever going to go away. But, yeah, I, I try not – I'm not embarrassed that I read it because, like, I know – you know, I know so many people in the book community and stuff, and so we can just sit there and talk about it. Nobody judges you, you know, unless like, oh, you didn't read the first series before you read that one, but, you know. But other than that, um, you know, everybody's pretty much, you know, on the same level as everybody. But gosh, in the real world, it's not like that whatsoever. It's like I'm not even talking to real people in the community, and then I actually go out on my daily life, and I'm like, yeah. So I started read John Gwynn's book the other day. I was like, who's that? I'm like, dang, got it. Oh, I was hoping one I like, time. I like going to conventions that we have over here. So there's one coming up in September, which I was debating about going, but I'm going to now, Fantasy Con. And you walk in and there's, you know, 800,000 people. They all know. They know the stuff that you know. They read the stuff that you know. You don't have to explain it through a filter. They yeah. just get it. You can say, oh, I, I, read, I read the late Pete McLean novel. Oh, yeah, 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 I read that one. What, was it? what do you think of so-and-so? Oh, yeah, that was great. And you just get into it and you start talking about, TV and films and books and comics and whatever it is, and they know they get it. They're part of the yeah. same community, and yeah. that's that's fantastic. And the, the internet has changed so much. Like the fact that I'm talking to you from the UK and you're Alabama, you know, we can do this. We couldn't have done this a few years ago. Yeah. Um, so it's connecting people all over the world, which is so so great. I really yeah, like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, you know, m- most of the conversations that I have with people around birmingham like my area is football i mean that because you know because <laughs> it's the big rivalry in alabama between alabama and auburn which which i'm an auburn grad so you know i've, I've got a you know oh i hate alabama you know but my wife graduated <laughs> from there so i can't really i can't really say anything but um but yeah it's 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 football and weather so we're very we're very english um mm-hmm. and uh and you know what do your kids do in the summer? I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Nobody talks about books. We'll sometimes talk about movies, sometimes. But mm. uh, luckily, I've got a couple of friends that like I recommend books to. That you know, they're like, "Hey, I really like that one." We don't have in depth conversations about it, but at least they read it. You know, at least at least my recommendations don't just fall flat. So yeah, yeah, um, pretty good. Yeah. So um, okay, so you know, we 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 go through all these books and all these rejections. I'm assuming you're just getting like red stamps on envelopes, you know, since you're not really getting any feedback. So are any of those books that, you know, your earlier stuff, your sci-fi, your horror, are you ever planning on like going back to them or are those just like shelves and you're never, they're never going to see the light of day and it's just on to the new thing. I, th- I think if I ever go back and look at them, I don't think I would 
try and rewrite them again. I might take the seed of the idea or try and find out what I was trying to actually do with the book. And there might be plots and pieces and characters perhaps that I could use here and there. Um, but I don't think I'd ever want to re redo some of them. Um, because you, you move on, like someone asked me the other day, what's your, what's, which is a favorite book that you've ever written? And it's always the current one, or it's actually, it's the next one that I haven't written because mm. I'm thinking about it now. I'm writing one, but your brain is always like, oh, that sounds so good, I'll do that next. And so it's going backwards seems like a bit a bit of a weird kind of thing to do. Um, I suspect I'll be horrified if I go back to that first <laughs> novel, <laughs> 10 years on look at it, I'll just be like, I'm not surprised they rejected me. I'd just be <laughs> shocked and appalled and be like, yeah, fair enough. I get yeah, it. Yeah, you'll go back and be like, I wrote this? Oh my gosh. That was horrible. <laughs> well, you all got you gotta learn. This is it. It's all part of the learning process. But yeah, yeah, it took me a long time and a lot of books before I finally got an agent and got a book deal. So mm -hmm. uh yeah, it just took me I don't know, maybe I just needed to write a lot more words or practice a lot more and because I don't have any um, formal writing qualifications. Like I haven't, you know, I didn't, I didn't study writing at university or anything or college. It was just, I'm completely self-taught. So, mm -hmm. and from what I could glean by listening to writers and editors and agents at events over the years and how they did it and how were the writers got in and just, it, it just, the same message just kept resonating. It was just finish the book, revise it, edit it, work on it, start another one. And that was the thing over and over. People said, it's the only way you're going to get better. And Eventually, I did. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but here I am. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I keep trying to figure out, like, am I a writer or am I just a reader who wants to write? Like, you know, I, I see, I see all these authors, you know, now that are like way younger than I am that are, you know, publishing and like getting these you know, these deals. You know, you, you like your Nick Martell, your Rebecca Kwong, your your Ryan Cahill's <laughs> got his second book coming out. He just he just pushed out a novella for it. I'm like. Yeah, like I, I, I've written like a thousand words. I'm like I don't know where to go from here. Like, what, you know, how do, how, how do I, how do I dialogue? I don't know how to do that, you know. But like, I, I have the seed and I have the idea, but I'm just like, yeah. I, I can't, can't really fathom continuing. But at the same time, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to work a full time job, trying to run a full time blog, trying yeah. to read as much as I can, and then also trying to read while also having a child. It's really impossible <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to try to do all those things so it's like i need to retire from one thing to do something else <laughs> oh yeah this is it it's all about finding finding time it was a case of when i was doing it i'd stay up late and get less sleep and uh, to fit in the writing around work um that was what i was i did for years you know and then you kind of crash out the weekend and try and catch up and write on the weekend so for years it was just me writing evenings and weekends mm -hmm. and it took a lot longer to write books back then compared to now when I have, you know, uh, less responsibilities to now. Uh, there's a lot more going on now, but yeah, then you just, you know, you sit up right till one, two o'clock crash, get up at six, go to work and do that five, six days a week. And I'd, I'd be able to cope, but I'm a little older than I was back then. So. <laughs> Well, see, that's like now I like fathoming trying to stay up to even like 11 o'clock, like exhausts me <laughs> to the point where I need to take a nap. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't think I can make it past 10 most nights. Like, I'll, I'll tell my wife, like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go read a little bit. And, like five minutes in, I'm like, mm, I can think, I think about the end of the sentence. I'm going to go ahead and set it to the side and, 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 and go ahead and take a nap. But yeah, I think if like I was sitting up at a desk. Mm. And, and like actually looking at a computer or because I, I I think I saw this the other day. I forgot who, who posted about it, but they said that they can find where they can sit down and read or write or type or whatever, you know, sitting up, sitting upright and looking down better than they can sitting down like in a chair kind of slouched back. And yeah. I feel like that's my issue. I was like, if I could just like sit in an upright chair, have like a book or something laying on a table and reading mm. it, looking down, I wouldn't my eyes wouldn't tire out as much as I would laying back some, because now I'm comfortable and now I'm like, Oh, sleep sounds great. You know, uh, I could finish this book tomorrow, you know, whatever, but I, I don't know what it is, but my, I don't think my wife would appreciate that. Or I guess I could just sleep on the couch. I mean, get you a, get you a standing desk. That's the, that's the thing. So you, you, yeah. you start writing when you stood up. I mean, yeah, some people yeah. do. I think, I think um, Joe Abercrombie, he writes at a standing desk because he kind of paces around. And I think Ed Cox, Ed Cox does as well. I think he also kind of thinks a bit and goes and types a bit and walks around a bit, comes out and types a bit. And that's how they kind of do it. But um, 
Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and mark down standing desk. I'm going to write that <laughs> standing down. Desk. Steve, Steve Arian's idea, standing <laughs> desk. Standing desk. Yep. Yep. There's one. There's one for you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming you don't, though. I'm assuming you, you're, you're a nope. sitting type. In this, bum, in this chair, hands on this keyboard. I'm really, really traditional in how I write. I plan my novels. Um, I sit in the same chair, the same desk. I've tried writing other places. I always, like if I go away for work for a couple of days, I go, I'll take my laptop and yeah, yeah. I'll, in the hotel, I'll do some writing. Never happens. Oh, no. You know, you come back, you sit the tele, put the telly on, and you're like, oh, I'll just watch a bit of television. and then Put, put your feet up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, some, like like service. <laughs> always promise I'm going to do it. And after a while, I just thought, don't, don't bother. Just take a book and read and relax and then when you get back home, right. And then, so that's what I do. You know? Yeah. I've always understood, you know, wanted to understand what the point of a desk was in a hotel room, because like, I guess you're expected to work. And I'm like, who, who yeah. does that? You literally come in, you set your stuff down, you take your shoes off and you put your feet up and you watch TV and you're like, maybe I should go eat. Maybe I should take a shower and then go to bed. And that's pretty much all you do. But there's yep. always that, you know, clean pristine desk with a lamp it's already got <laughs> pens ready for you you know i never touch it nobody's <laughs> working there come on those pens have been there for years they've dried out nobody's touched them they don't work <laughs> might as well have an inkwell <laughs> yeah, pretty much the quill get your quill out and start working yeah it's not gonna happen oh my gosh so you named some uh some authors you read growing up who would you say that you know maybe were your your biggest influences um, it's definitely David Gemmell. Um, for me, he's still my favorite um, fantasy writer, uh, author and writer because uh, you, more recently in the last probably 10 years or so, people have started talking about, you know, Grimdark, which was a thing originally coined as a bit of a joke. And then it's sort of become its own kind of thing where books are a bit darker, characters are a bit more ambiguous. They don't necessarily have to be good guys. They're quite complicated and layers layered. And I'm there going, yeah, yeah, Gamble was doing this in the 90s. You know, he was already doing this. He would write about people that weren't always likable in complicated situations, trying to make the best of them. And I don't think he ever wrote a book that was over 500 pages. And most of them were standalone or they'd build within the same world. And he was doing this. And I just thought, you know, he could do so much with so little. And uh, I really liked the fact that his characters were layered and interesting and complicated people. And so the best compliment I've ever had is when people have said my work reminds them of David Gemmell. And I take that as a, as a huge point of pride um, because absolutely it's just the way that I'm always trying to cut my books down and make them leaner and tighter. Um, like Pete McLean novels, you know, his uh, War for the Rose Throne, they're so lean. They're, they're, mm -hmm. I don't think a book's over 400 pages of any one of his. And yet there's so much packed in and there's so much action and so much going on. And it's that kind of thing that... I'm, I'm always striving for to make it tighter and leaner and and really punchy. That's what you want. Uh, that's, well, that's what I want in my work, I should say. Some people like the kind of doorstoppers, the 800-page thing where you just sink into a book. And sometimes it's nice, but for my own stuff, um, I don't think I've ever written a book that's reached 600 pages. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do, do you need to go back and check? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of thinking going... What's the biggest one I've ever done? I think the biggest book I ever wrote was the sixth one, was Mage Bane. Mage Bane? Yeah. I'm trying to see, trying to see from where I'm at if it's thicker than the other ones. It looks yeah. like Yeah. So my, so my first book, Battle Mage, was quite long. It was for me, it was like 130, and I think Mage Bane was 140, 145 or something like that. So, because mm. I, I had to wrap up everything from six books and kind of wrap up most of the story threads and the characters and tie everything off. So, that was probably the longest one, but I've never kind of broken like the 600 page, uh, you know, page count in a novel. Yeah. Yeah. There, you know, there's some books where, where I'm like, okay, you know, less is more. And then there's others where I'm like, I don't mind reading, you know, six, seven, 800 pages, you know, mm. like, I, I always go back to shadow of the gods by John Gwent. It's a thick book, but like, you don't feel like it's very long. Yeah. Like, it is a very quick read. I mean, I read it in like a day. Um, and then wow. like, Anthony Ryan's The Pariah. I think it's like a little over 600. Mm -hmm. Might not be quite that much. I don't remember. Um, and I read it fairly quickly. But there are some, you know, like, say like Sanderson, uh, you know, th those books are all doorstoppers. And they can at times feel, you know, like they're that way. Because, I mean, you've got an audiobook that's 34 hours or, 
you know, mm. talk about Game of Thrones. I mean, they're all massive books, but and some of them, you know, it's, it's just all. I guess it really depends on what you're focusing on in that big, you know, that that large amount of pages or that large amount of words. You yeah. know, is it are you just building the world out through all of that? Or are you building your characters up through all that? Is there action in between, or is it just a bunch of people, you know, riding around on horses trying to get from one place to another? Um, <laughs> and so, and I feel like. And you, you know, you mentioned Pete McLean actually just finished uh, Priest of the Gallows. Uh, so much to read, pilots. Right oh, it's here. so good. It's, I think it's my best one, his best one of the series so far. Which you okay. always say that about the new one, right? It's like, oh, it's the best <laughs> one. So far. Uh, it's but, it's, but it's really good. Uh, and yeah, it's it's one of those things where you don't just spend all this time going, and then they rode da 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 to get to here. You know, yeah, he's just like one day you're here, and the next day, you know, the next chapter you're in the in the next place, and you just. Mm-hmm start your dialogue or you start, you know, your arc or whatever, depending on what part. Um, and yeah, it's just, it, it just very in your face. It hits and, you know, you don't have to know like, Oh, why did he use such technique or why is he pulling his, you know, badge out or whatever? It's just like, no, I'm, I'm going to come knock you in the teeth and then we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, like I said, I think it, I think it depends kind of what your mood is at that point. You know, if yeah. you're, when you're reading or writing, um, but honestly, you know, if you're if you're gonna write a trilogy or you know, four books, five books, six books in a series, mm-hmm. you know, three to four hundred is probably about right for that kind of series, depending on the idea you're trying to bring across. At least in my opinion, my opinion yeah. usually is moot. So, <laughs> I mean, so I really enjoy um, Bradley Bolia's um, Tale of the Shattered Sands, which I've got on my to read pile as well. I've got like books three and four and five to read or, or five and six you know the last one comes out this year and those are amazing the world building and that is fantastic the magic all the complicated politics the the because it's so different and unique and they're about five six hundred pages each and i'll happily sit and just soak into something like that so it depends on your mood as you say what you yeah what you because if i read like a really big thick book and sometimes i'm like okay i need like a palate cleanser something that's quite tight and lean and i'll whip through it you know, for three, four hundred pages, whip through it in, in four or five days, and then right now I'm ready for something else. And why change genres? And it's just, you know, I, I never read the whole series straight through. I never do that. I like to sit and think about it and take a break between books and, you know, come back to them later when I've had a chance to reflect on it. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I do. I, I, I break up most fantasy books. I'll, I'll say I'll do like two or three fantasy books in a row, mm. and then if I've got, you know, several like psychological thrillers or something that come out, like I can, I can do one to two of those a day, like on yeah. audio, I just fly through them. Um, because I can sit there and it can be going while I work and I'm not like really missing a whole lot. Cause a lot of it's just character. It, it, there's mm. no world building. There's no magic systems, anything like that, that you really <laughs> need, need attention span for. Yeah. Um, or, or in like science fiction, when you've got all these terms that are just like, whoa, way over your head if you're not paying attention. Um, so yeah. So, you know, like I, like the other day I, I, I listened to uh, the Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison, which is an amazing mm-hmm. book. If, it, if, if nobody's you know, read it or, or listened to it, um, you know, it's not like, it's not punchy. It's really politics. And it's this young goblin that is basically thrown into becoming an emperor and all the machinations that happen around him and all the people that don't quite like him because he's really an outcast, but have kind of come to like him, I guess. Um, and just ha- how he takes hold of this empire. Uh, but like I did that. And then the next day I did Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby. And then mm. uh, I listened to, I think it was the photographer. I can't remember the, the name of the author. And then like I listened to like two or three more thrillers. And I was like, okay, time for another fantasy book. Uh, which yeah, yeah. I ended up doing science fiction. I'm listening or I'm reading Artifact Space by Miles Cameron now. So, uh, you know. You, you do what you do, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I listened to the coward the other day, so that, that right, was there you go. That was you nice, nice, quick, and tight. Nice segue. You know, one really one day segue. listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like four hundred pages. Yeah, I think I think that's it. And it's yeah. it's it it from point A to point B. You're good, and you're like, all right, bring on book two. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's going. <laughs> <laughs> it's written. It's done. Hey, I like to hear that. So, um, yeah. before we get to that though, um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your writing process. So like, you know, if you want to go back to as far as your first rejection, you are more than welcome to, but I want to know what your process <laughs> has been like, how it's maybe evolved and kind of, you know, do you keep the same process through every book now uh, that, you know, that you've been published? 
Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, my my tech, so I it's all about finding your own way. You're finding what works for you. Like you're saying, you've done your thousand words and you, you're not sure where, you know, where to go next. And it's that case of, I wanted to find out if I was a planner or, you know, like, or, or a pantser, which, what is the thing that works for me? And to begin with, I was planning all my books and, um, I think, you know, it seemed to be going well, but I kept getting all these rejections. So I thought, okay, I'll try one and not, not focus on it. I'll just sit down and start writing and see what happens. And I wrote a book and finished it and it was a mess. It made no sense. And I tried to, the, oh, I'll try and unpick it and make something of it. And I was just like, I'm going to have to rewrite this whole thing. So I found out very quickly, planning books is what works for me. It helps me lay things out. So I know the beginning, the middle, the end. Um, I have milestones along the way that are planned out, but I don't know how I get between the milestones. So the creative part for me comes from when I sit down, I'm not always sure how I get to the next bit and it just comes out on the page when I write it. Um, because if I, if I planned everything down to the nth degree, then it would be boring to write, which means it's gonna be boring to read. Mm -hmm. So there has to be some kind of creativity, some kind of flair, some kind of spark of imagination. And sometimes you put things in there that sound great in the moment, but when it comes to the edit, they get culled out because they don't fit in with the rest of the the theme of the book or what you were trying to say with it behind the scenes. And that gets cut out. And sometimes you can use that other places and sometimes you can't. So it, it's kind of stayed the same technique um, ever since then. I, I just work my way forward. I, I'll write for... My tar I set a daily target just for myself. No one, you don't have to do it. This is just how I do it. So I have like a thousand words is my minimum for a session when I sit down to write. And I have a monthly word count um, that keeps me on track because of deadlines. So I know that if I do this many a month minimum, I get to the book by this many months and I'm done and I hit my deadline. So I've always been on time or early on all of my deadlines. And it's it's working, so I'm not gonna, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so if it works, if it didn't broke, don't try and fix it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, so, and, and then I met RJ Barker. And <laughs> I'm going to blame him for a lot of things over the course of my life. I'm sure One he'll take them. the blame too. Oh, yeah, he'll accept them. One of them is I, I started uh, to work on The Coward. Oh, this side. And I broke all of my own rules. I started writing the book. I wrote the first chapter, wrote a couple more, and then I went back and tweaked chapter one. And I'm like, what are you doing? You never do this. And then I went forward a bit more and I went back and tweaked it again. I never do that. And I always say to people, don't do that. And yet I broke my own rules. Um, I always start at the beginning, work through at the end of the draft, and then I go back. I make if, I, if stuff needs work, I make a note, I write it down, I put it aside, it's out of my brain, and I carry on forward. But I didn't this time. I, I just, something wasn't working. Just don't know why. Um, I'm going to blame him. It's his, his influence because he's completely by the seat of his pants. You know, he just kind of sits down. And I think he knows the ending and that's about it. And he just starts working towards it with a very vague plan. I had the plan, but I again kept tweaking things as I went along because I wasn't happy with it. And I'm just like, wow, this is different. This is weird. Hmm. Wonder, wonder why. Uh, I've met someone who's done this to me, you know, he's influenced <laughs> me. Hmm. When all else goes, blame RJ Barker. <laughs> someone chaotic and unusual. Yeah, must be RJ. Yeah, yeah. it must be RJ. Um, but, but most of the time, yeah, I just stick to the same kind of kind of system. Um, and <laughs> so when I got when I got signed up for my first trilogy with Orbit, you've obviously finished the first book, and they want like a couple of pages on book two and maybe a couple of paragraphs on book three. So they know that you've got the plan for the trilogy and where you're going. And like, great. And then you start editing book one and then you start writing book two. And it's only when he gets that point where you have to start writing book three, you think I've actually only got this paragraph. <laughs> I kind of need more. Uh, right. And so at some point in that process, you sit, I sat down and was like, I need to plan a bit more of this. And, it, it worked out, but yeah, uh, you learn all of these things just by doing them and just gradually going along. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, my first trilogy, that was quite a hectic time because um, Orbit do this for most of their debut authors. They give you a longer lead time up front so that the time between books in the first series is much shorter. Mm -hmm. So m all of three of my books came out within 12 calendar months. So it was something wow. like... It was something like September, yeah, so it was September 2015, then like 
April 2016 and then September 2016. So, you know, about by 12 months' time, the three books are out. Because normally if a book comes out, you go, oh, it's brilliant. When's the next one? A year. And you're like, well, okay. And people can forget. If you go, it's six months, right? It's in the calendar or you've pre-ordered it or whatever it is, you know, you're able to manage it a bit better. And then after a year, you've got three books out, done. So I was editing book one, writing book two and planning book three within like a two year period. And then it all kind of shuffles along. You're doing final checks on one and you're editing two and making more notes on three. That was intense. That was like two years of really intense behavior of just writing all the time. Um, and then take a breather. And then it's just one book a year after that. That was a lot easier to do. A <laughs> I lot <can> easier. <laughs> You know, let, yes, and, and uh, like Katie says, unless you're R.J. Barker, we can write a book in two and a half weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's just insane. We, we don't want to talk about that. I mean, his, his erratic, his evil twin, R.J. Darker. <sighs> yeah, I still need to read that book, by the way. I'm pretty sure it comes out like in a week or two. It's, uh, it's, um, the little, little by, crime. Death by numbers or something yeah. by numbers. Yeah. Yeah, so that's out in a couple of weeks from his evil twin. But he's... Um, <laughs> He's already working on a bunch of other ones. He was telling me the other day. So, oh, I'm sure he is. <laughs> Who ever really knows of him? <laughs> he's a, he's guy's relentless. He's he's very good though. He's just very, very relentless in oh, what man. he does. Oh my gosh. Um. Well, let's let's kind of start out. Um. Before we talk about the coward, which is you know our main reason for being here. Um. Yeah. Can you can you talk about your first two series, uh, Age of Darkness and Age of Dread? Um. You know, what are they about? Do they follow the same timeline or are they in the same world, et cetera, just for those who haven't uh, maybe read them yet? Yeah, sure, sure. So the first trilogy is called The Age of Darkness, and it begins with Battle Mage. So that came out in 2015. Wow, long time ago now. Um, and I did something a little bit different on my first trilogy. So all three books are connected. They all are part of the same world, but they – uh, and they have threads that go from one book to the next, but they're, they're a little bit standalone, but not not really. I mean, characters in the foreground in the first book move into the background in the second book, and in the third book, they shift about again. And so each one builds on the other, and they're all quite different in style and tone. So the first book, Battle Mage, is very much about what is, in essence, a, a world war that's happening within this world. Um, there's a great evil arising and the armies are uniting and the king needs uh, battle mages to help him fight back. And so he calls on a bunch of people and they come out and help help him. And in the world I've created, magic's quite, it's not, it's called the Age of Darkness because it's kind of in a, a dying phase of magic. It's rare and unusual and people who have magic are seen as quite dangerous because people don't really understand how they do the things they do the magic is very, very overt. It's kind of battlefield magic. So people are, you know, summoning lightning and throwing fireballs and blasting people apart and all kind of weird and very violent kind of stuff. And if you saw that six foot away from you, you'd be scared. You just run for the hills. And you've got guys, you know, fighting with swords and a bloke walks up next to you and just blasts apart 200 people just by waving his hand. That would freak anybody out. So I wanted to bring in this kind of fear of magic and have this thing that they're necessary and they're important and they're needed for the war to fight back against the other side who has mages of their own. But people don't really like them and they can't really trust them um, because they're just so dangerous. And, you know, if they suddenly turned on the people and changed their mind, how can you stop them? Who's going to who's gonna do it? You've called them to help, you know, and they're getting paid and they'll get rewarded. But if they suddenly go, yeah, I don't want to do it anymore. Who's, who's going <laughs> to compel them to do it? Um, so that's, yes, that's the first book. It's very much like a, a war book. You've got politics and you've got um, things creeping around the edges that I don't want to get into too much. But there's, there's, there's shades of things you've seen in other books. There's mythology and there's religion and there's people walking around who are more than they, than they seem, let's just say that, um, amidst the soldiers and the other people. Um, and then I did something completely different for the second book. I wrote a crime novel. <laughs> it's fantasy, but really it's a crime novel. Um, and it's it, Blood Mage is all focused on one city, and it's all about a serial killer and uh, a guy who's going around blowing up a bunch of people and his dark magic. And one of the characters is essentially a police woman, and another guy's a policeman, and you've got a spy, 
and there's crime families, a bit like uh, The Sopranos kind of stuff. That's the second book. So, but there are things that have pulled in from the first book. And then the third one is kind of like a post-apocalyptic story. It's kind of like uh, Walking Dead in an abandoned city on the edge of nowhere where people are coming back to life. Not quite, but something's not right. And some people are sent to investigate and there's weird magic and all sorts of stuff. And it ties up a bunch of things that have been hinted at in the first two books and characters that you've seen come back. Um, so I, I did something a bit different. For my first a little trilogy. bit, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> fantasy crime, but fantasy and post-apocalyptic, but fantasy. <laughs> and a bit of horror as well. So, you know, it's all, but fantasy is brilliant. It's the ultimate cheat code. It's a giant umbrella under which you can tell any kind of story oh, yeah. that you want to. As long as there's a sword and a bit of magic, it's fantasy. Of course. Isn't it? of yeah. Course. yeah. So, yeah, so that was the first trilogy. And then the second trilogy, um, The Age of Dread, is 10 years after um, the events of Chaos Mage. And it's the same world. Some familiar faces come back, um, older, wiser, uh, and there are some new characters as, as well. And this time I did a more traditional trilogy. So it's one massive story into three parts, and they all, you know, carry on with the same people. Um, and, yeah, at the end of that, that sixth book, I have to tie up all the stuff I've been hinting at in the first trilogy and everything that's gone on in that second trilogy. Whew. So that was uh, that was a challenge. Yeah. And after that, there's still some threads dangling. And it's a case of if I ever go back, there's material there that I can pull on and, and tease out and expand. But at the moment, I'm done. I'm, enough with the wizards. I've done six books with the word, with the word mage in. I'm done. I'm done with wizards. <laughs> and you also, uh, you also have a prequel novella, correct? Yeah, so it's um, an audio and ebook only novella, which I wrote after the first book. It's um, it's Call of Gods and Men, and it's um, kind of an homage to to Steinbeck's of Mice and Men, um, and it but it fits in with the world and it expands on a couple of favorite characters. People wanted to know more about them and their origins and where they came from and things that are hinted at, and this prequel explains a lot of things and. Um, it's got quite a few secrets in there as well, actually. So I kind of tell people to read the first book and then go back and read the prequel because it makes a lot more sense if you do it that way. But some people have just started a prequel and that's fine. You know, they kind of get more answers. They get more answers up front, which probably makes reading Battle Mage a bit easier in some ways. They go, okay, I kind of know some of this already because I know some of the secrets. So, But yeah, some people started with the second trilogy and then gone, I feel like I'm missing something. Like, yeah, there's a whole other trilogy before it. <laughs> <laughs> but they've read it and thought, that's okay. And then if they want to go back, they've read the first trilogy. So yeah. it fills in gaps and stuff. You yeah, know? I mean, I think that's kind of the, the the thing you want as an author is that, you know, if you write two series in the same world and they're and you can kind of like read them either way, um, I know, I know a lot of readers, you know, go, Oh no, you got to start with the first one because you're going to spoil yourself with the second. I mean, again, it all comes back to taste. I mean, do you care about being yeah. spoiled in the next series or not? Which like I read Stavely's newest empire's ruin and it takes place after his first series, which I read the first book and the, uh, I guess you would call it the prequel blood swarm before, uh, reading it. And I was like, you know, like, like I get it. And yeah. I loved empire's ruin. So I'm like, so it'll just make me go back and read the original. And I think, I think that helps because if, if people missed out on your first series and they start off on your second and they really enjoy it, they're like, Oh crap, there's three more books. I can go, I can go get those now. <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 it hurts and helps, I guess, as an author, cause you want everybody yeah. to, to start, you know, at your very beginning. And I feel like, a, over the past few years, the way I've kind of done my blogging is that I read a lot of debuts. Um, mm. I don't necessarily complete the series. Like I will eventually, but like if I'll read like the first book and I go, okay, that was really great. I want to continue this. And then, you know, you've got more debuts that come out. I feel like if I can get the debuts out there, get people interested in them, maybe they'll be more likely to like continue the series than I would just since I'm like trying to like turn through so many books. <laughs> Cause I, I, you know, I feel like, okay, I've written a review for that one. I can continue the series. Cause let me tell you, it's really hard to write reviews on second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh books. Oh, because yeah, they're yeah. all kind of like the same. They just continue a story. And so that's why I generally only write the first book's review unless mm. I'm just like 
slapped across the face and like, I've got to write something for this one. You know? <laughs> like I'll probably write one for Priest of Gallows uh, just because like it, I'm telling you, it's so good. Um, <laughs> it's, it's my next read. It's my next read for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Cause I mean, I, I'll get all the books in a series, especially, you know, if I really enjoy it. And generally, even though, you know, I'll get like, you know, e-arcs or whatever, I tend to buy the hardcovers and, and physical copies of books. Like as you can tell, um, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm big into collecting. I don't read any of these, uh, cause I've got them all on my Kindle. So they're, they're just there to look pretty. Um, yeah, they look good. This is yeah. so good. I know it's, it, it's, it's a bit chaotic. Yeah, I can see. You don't want to see the rest of my office. It it, <laughs> it looks like a crapshoot in, in this office. There are books just piled on top of books everywhere. It's nuts. My wife's like, you going to do something with this? I'm like, I think I'll make a throne. I think that's what I'm going to do. That's my next thing. My bookshelves are filled. So now it's, I can just kind of build my own throne out of books. And then I'll start doing reviews and, and interviews out of that throne. On your throne. Yeah. Yeah. Nick did. Nick did that, didn't he? he? Made he made thrown out of his books. Nick Martell had just sat. You sat there with a sword with all his own books. I was like, nice. I like it. I like he's, it. He still doesn't. He still doesn't give me credit. That was my idea. <laughs> you said about 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 series. Um, so Michael J. Sullivan. I was. I wanted to read his stuff for some reason. I just never got round to it. And I asked people, where should I start? And they said, start with the Riria uh, Chronicles. I think it is. And mm -hmm. people said that isn't actually the first series but they said start there and if you like it and you want more of the characters go back and i'm like okay i get it i understand that and he's apparently he's done a number of other novels earlier in the timeline as well yeah. and they're saying if you want like some said okay so i went with what people told me rather than just going right back to the very first book um, yeah because so. his legends his legend series takes place before the the i i always mispronounce it raira raira I, I, hmm. i've never i need to ask mike how exactly to, to, to say it but yeah his legend series is before and then his new series that starts with nolan which comes out i think it's in august or september uh, yeah. is like in between both right, okay. it's like several hundred thousand years after the legends and then i think it's like five or a thousand years before the writer of books um so yes i mean i think again it all comes down to taste and, and where you kind of fall into the line because you know the where we are now with the blog and everything, we kind of know what's coming. Mm. Um, and so we can kind of plan out how we're going to read books and so forth. So, you know, we're, you know, we may have missed out on stuff for the past 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, uh, but we know what's coming out in 2021, <laughs> 22, 23, most of the time. Um, so yes, I mean, clearly, you know, and I've only been reading for five, six years. So like I've missed out on a ton. So like, I just, finished like the first law trilogy like a year ago wow um, okay. and i've got you know clearly plenty more to read because i haven't read all the standalones or the new series they're yet. good yeah yeah that's yeah good. yeah um, and like i've got like all of anthony ryan's books like yeah i have read some of the books that i have on my show like i've read all of lawrence's stuff up to uh the second uh the girl on the mountain like i haven't read that one yet um, so like I feel pretty good. Like I've read almost an entire shelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got books piled up as well in other rooms. Just yeah. this is just my to read pile. This is kind of it. Uh, you know, yeah. It's like twenty books there. Say I bought a book cart for it, and I and I, I it, it's way too stocked. So like mm. I'm just like I'm going to read those. It's not my to read pile, but it's my going to read pile. No, oh, okay. Um, okay, nice. Yeah, I think I need to get one of those tough sheds, and I'll just like start building. Bookshelves in there because you know, it like it's climate controlled and I, and, I, yeah. and I won't feel bad for them being and I can go visit my books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, a little just pop up, pop out and see your books for every yeah, now and then. Yeah, it's like you know, hello, how Dust are you? Dust them off today? a bit, you know, make sure they're okay. Yeah, you sit me out with like the little the little fine toothbrush. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just hang out with your books for a while. You don't want to get yeah, lonely. I give yeah. me a nice chair, you know, coffee pot. Just, just sit there and just. I won't even read them. Just look at them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I bought because uh, it's my favorite science fiction novel. I bought a Folio Society special edition hardback slipcase version of Frank Herbert's Dune. Wow! It cost. It didn't cost a lot. It cost a good chunk of money. Not like ridiculous money. I'm never going to read it. I'm just going to look at it. I've got a, yeah. a really tatty, worn-out, dog-eared paperback that I've read 47 times. But that that folio edition, 
I take it up and smell it and I look at the paintings. <laughs> it's got amazing paintings they had commissioned and the artwork is amazing. I'm just going to have it on the shelf and I just look at it and feel oh, yeah. it and touch it. And it's books are artifacts. I mean, I, I understand the, the ease and the convenience of e-readers and I get it. The same with audiobooks. But for me, I love the tactile feel of books and just the weight and having them there. And there's something about a really special version of a special book mm. and just having a copy and it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love, I'm really happy with that purchase. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like I, I bought the uh, the Grimoire editions of like the Broken Empire and um, Red Queen's War, and the only reason I opened them was to take pictures of the interior art for Instagram, and then I closed them and put them on the shelf. I'm like, <laughs> they're never getting touched again. Yeah. But I have, but I have side books by Mark Lawrence. There they're go. gorgeous. They're great books, and yeah, I, I will keep them, and then you know somebody maybe my daughter will inherit them if she continues to read at, at yeah. the rate she's reading now so i mean it's just she she reads books faster than anybody i've ever seen because she just does this done goes to the next one and i'm like <laughs> wow there's something special there <laughs> that kid's special yeah wow um all right we need to get back on, on uh, yeah yeah on the, okay the coward okay yes so Quest for Heroes number one coming from Angry Robot Books in what yep. six days now? Yeah, uh, June eighth. Yep. Even though audio audio has been out for a little bit, which is nice. And yeah, came out a little bit. I was earlier. able to to get through it so quickly, and it was it's real nice. But can you tell everybody about the coward? Uh, sure. Where your I guess idea and influence behind the story came from, and uh, tell us you know, just who is Kilcressia? <laughs> so this is totally new world. Totally new, everything completely fresh. It's a two-book series. It's not a trilogy. And uh, as I said, the second book is written. It'll go into edits later this year, and it'll come out uh, June next year. So that's the plan. So The Coward um, is about a guy called Kel Cressier. When he was 17, uh, the, the greatest heroes in the Five Kingdoms were traveling across the country. Um, they'd been summoned by the kings to go north and find out what was gradually freezing over the world something was going wrong and so all the heroes were summoned to go forth and slay the evil and he's a 17 year old cocky lad thinks the heroes are amazing wants to be them wants to be rich and famous and adored by them and he has the great idea of tagging along with them because that's the way to everything that he wants and they don't want him there because he doesn't know what he's doing but he, he tags along and eventually they you know he persuades them to keep him he goes north with them they go on this epic quest encounter all sorts of horrible things and during the course of the quest all of the heroes die apart from Kel and he sees each and every one of them die in terrible ways and he comes back and he's the only survivor and everyone praises him as the great hero because he's you know he slayed the, the ice lich and saved the world from freezing over and he came home and he was dramatically changed by what had happened to him because he saw all of these terrible things and he basically went into retirement and became a farmer. But meanwhile, everybody's been singing songs about him, about how great it was and how fantastic it was, and how brave he was. And uh, he doesn't want anything to do with any of it because he came back with, you know, physical problems and mental problems and effectively with PTSD. Um, but The Coward begins 10 years after all of these events where something has taken up residence in the Ice Lich's castle in the north. And the king summons him again. He's like, well, you've done it once. You're going to go north and do it again and save the world. And he really, really doesn't want to go uh, because of what happened to him, because of what he saw happen to all of the heroes. And nobody really understands because the version that they all sing and tell stories about isn't the whole story. It's just the version of the story that people are willing to stomach, the version that people like, the censored version where they don't want to hear the rough parts and the difficult parts and the awful parts that happened to him and everybody else. So it is on the surface a quest novel, kind of like an old school quest novel where he and a bunch of people go north to find out what's going on. But really it's about an exploration of what it means to be hero, what it means to be brave, uh, what it means to be a coward. And all of the people with him have their own kind of demons. And it's all about Kel uncovering the truth and everybody else finding out the truth of what really happened to him and uh, versus what the version they think they know 
Um, and it's a bit about celebrity culture as well, how we look at heroes and celebrities and we kind of edit them ourselves and uh, we hold them on pedestals and when they fall off because they're human, we're kind of quite disappointed in them. And so there's a lot of that kind of stuff in there. Um, but yeah, and, and it's a two book. So the first book is relatively standalone, but there are threads that then go into the, into the second story. And it's not a cliffhanger, but there's a thing that happens right at the very end of the coward just kind of sets up something for the second book, which you know because you've you've listened to it. So right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just go. it just kind of sets it up, you know. Now yeah, yeah. I, I will say, uh, you know, Kel, his younger self, kind of reminded me of Starlight from the Boys. You know, it's like wants right. to be wants to be a superhero, wants to yep. be in, in this big elite, and then you know she gets there and she's like. Oh gosh, what did I sign up for? <laughs> they're all horrible people. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're, they're all terrible and they're, you know, yeah, they're superheroes, but like beyond that, they're just they're just horrible, you know. Yeah. And and Kill, you know, slowly kind of realizes that with this with this first group that it goes with. And you know, yeah, it's it, it's it's a really interesting character study, which is is, is a bit I put in into my review. Yeah. Uh, because he's such an interesting character. I think you know, there, there's a lot else that goes on, but just his journey and then kind of reflecting on the past of the same quest that he's already pretty much been on, but is going on again. And it's just like, gosh, I got to do this again. You know, it's almost like going on a second tour. You're like, <laughs> you know, why? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, and I have to ask, you know, he, he you know, comes back down and, and people are like, oh my gosh, you're so great. You know, it, he talks at one point about how his his luck has run out. It, yeah. Do you when you were writing this? Did you did you find that you know, was he just lucky or the you know was it just a in the right place at the right time kind of thing or was it just like uh you know he 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 just happened to be the one that came back. <laughs> This this is part of the the part of the question is that why why he is he the only one that made it back was it purely luck is it is he something special is he a hero and he's just been playing it down or is it a case of he just got really lucky because of you know events that conspired and all of the heroes that he travelled with the first time they were heroic they did do great things but as people they were awful they were complicated and layered and broken and damaged in their own ways but. Like you're saying, when they go into a tavern, they're like, hey, and they're, they're drinking and laughing and cheering and smacking people on the back. Yeah, hey, nice to see you, hey. But you step outside and the mask drops and Kel got to see both sides of them. So he knew what they were like in front of a crowd, how excited they were and how happy. And But, you know, some of them were alcoholics. Some of them uh, had, you know, severe mental problems. Some of them were drug addicts. But the people never saw that. And if they did, they'd probably just kind of ignore it because you don't want to see those, you know, heroes, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's like, why did Kel make it back? And that's part of one of the questions. He doesn't really understand it himself. Mm -hmm. And it is part of the reason he agrees to go on this second one is to find the answer to, was it just pure luck? Was Did, did everything that he thinks happen, happen? Because there's no one to corroborate because he's the only one that came back. So he can he thinks he knows what happened, and he told people when he came back, and they turned that into this song that everyone sings. But is is the version that he knows the whole truth as well? So there's there's more questions to be answered for him than he probably realizes at the start, mm -hmm. uh, and that's part of what this is about. Yeah, and it's and it's a fantastic story. So I mean, I clearly recommend it to everybody, and my review will be out. Uh, when, when this posts and so forth for my tour stop. Um, so all right, I've got some fun questions for you. Uh, okay. and, it, and it's some of them are just kind of based on your your little tweet out yesterday. <laughs> but uh, so, so what is your favorite cheese, Stephen? Easy, easy. Applewood smoked cheddar. Oh, I oh, got it so good. It's quite rich. Oh. It's really nice. It smells like a barbecue. Really tasty. Not too strong. Good stuff. Do you, do you eat it by itself? Do you eat it on, I on, could. on something? <laughs> I could just eat it. But I, I'm a cheese fiend. I could just easily just sit and munch on it. But no, you'd, have, you'd, you'd put it on something. You know, you wouldn't just do it. That would be crazy. I mean, mm. <laughs> I've seen crazier things. Yeah, I, I, love, I love cheese. Do you? Yeah. I mean, I do too. So, so we're uh, we're, we're kind of like doing this little, little help kick for the summer because we're, yeah. we've already planned like a beach trip and all this stuff. So, 
Unfortunately, Darius having to be cut a little bit. So I won't be able to be able to enjoy the lovely cheeses. Oh no! Let's, we're we're going to go ahead and we're going to have a moment of silence for cheese. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. All right. That's over. Uh, Katie. Katie wants to know what's your favorite kind of cake. Oh God, that that's one of the. I've got a huge sweet tooth. I am. Um, I everything. I eat everything. Cake. I love cake. I love chocolate. My favorite. I don't do this to me. Don't. I can't pick one. I can't. That's like saying, "What's my favorite chocolate bar?" Can't do no. it. See, no. mine. See, mine actually goes with my first question. Uh, cheesecake is actually my favorite. Love mm. cheesecake. I I really love Toblerone. I could just inhale that like a cone head. <laughs> just the whole lot. I, did you Did you one... see that one that Lawrence had like a year or two ago? Like that no. massive one. No, I didn't see it. Oh my gosh, I'm pretty sure he like kept like a like a, like documentation on like how much he ate like nice. as the days went on. Oh yeah, God, I love that. I love those Toblerones. <laughs> I love toffee. I love fudge. I love chocolate. You know, I've actually cake. never yeah. had a Toblerone ever in my I just, life. It, I I would admit it can be an acquired taste because it has honey in it, and some people don't like honey in their chocolate, and it's got. Can, that, can that be like my cheat day? My cheat day thing. Toblerone. <laughs> Yeah, it's got milk in, so it's kind of dairy as well, though. So maybe you, maybe you don't want to do it. It's milk chocolate. Mm. If you're off a dairy, you can't have it. So <laughs> I mean, um, I'm, I'm off dairy. We, yeah. we we can have we can have these things called wisps. They're like uh they're like baked cheese like crisps. What? They're okay. pretty good. They're pretty, but they're like really expensive for like a handful. <laughs> it's they really get you on this like healthy food, freaking food. It's it's mm-hmm. the worst. Like yep. just looking at my grocery bill, I'm like, gosh, we got to do this for six weeks. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Be- best Die Hard film. Okay, it has to be the first one. Um, we recently did um, a, a thing on a podcast. I do. We do action movies, and we went through all five and talked about all of them. And on reflection, the first one is the best for so many reasons. Like people have copied it for decades and as the films went on bruce willis got less and less interested and (laughs) cared less and less and probably got paid more and he just lost the will and by the fifth one it was so bad i mean i said this on the on the uh, review we did the best part is this tiny spoiler but it's die hard five it's awful don't don't watch it the best part that have you seen it is it that's not live for your die hard right Is is it the one that comes after it's the one in Russia with his son. Yes. Oh, God. Oh, it's so bad. Okay. So the best oh. part of that film is right at the very end, John McClane gets off a plane with his son and his daughter comes to meet him. And it's like happy reunion, right? And then they turn off the, the, the sound and play like a soundtrack. And for 30, 32 seconds, you've, you haven't got the characters. You've got Bruce Willis. You've got Kai. And you've got, um, oh, what's her name? She was in uh, Birds of Prey, and she was in, oh, think of her name in a minute, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who plays his daughter. And you've got the three of them walking across a tarmac, talking, right? But you can't hear what they're saying. And I I don't think they're in character. I think they're just talking, and they're kind of laughing and smiling. And Bruce Willis smiles the first time in the film. And someone says something, and he kind of laughs. And I'm like, that was a real laugh. He said something witty and you laughed. That's the best moment. Those 32 seconds. Put it, find it on YouTube. Someone's done it already. I've watched I've watched that. If you watch that for an hour and a half, you'll enjoy it more than <laughs> Die Hard 5. Seriously. So somebody has it on a loop? Yeah, I'm good. Me, I just put it on repeat and just watch it. Oh it's like, it, that is the best part of Die Hard 5. It's so nice. And it just feels genuine. And I thought, the rest of this film, no. But this, yeah. I, yeah, I, like, I can't it. remember a single second of that movie. Oh, they, the best part, they go to Chernobyl and they go to one area where the radiation is so high they can't go in, but then someone comes in with a spray and goes, Shh. yeah, it's okay now, we can go in. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's how good the science that shows is. Especially how long high. it's been since I've seen that movie because I did not remember that part. But I watched it, I had to rewind it and be like, what? Did that really just happen? Did that, did have, that, you, have you watched the, like docu mini docu series, it's not really a documentary, but it's yeah on HBO. Oh, by the no. way, that, that's really good. Chernobyl, watch it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be your next watch. Um, all right, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna skip this one, but I want to go to this one because I've talked to you about it before. But I just want your answer again. If you and Neil Gaiman 
We're speaking from behind a curtain. Could people tell your voices apart? <laughs> Someone said this to me yesterday. Someone said to me, I've been trying to work out your voice. And, I'm, and they said, oh, my God, you sound like Neil Gaiman. And I said, only if I do the pauses in the right place. When Neil Gaiman speaks, he gets halfway through a sentence, and then he carries on talking. But he never gets through the whole sentence without finishing it. <laughs> so you're wondering if he's ever going to get to the point that he was making. Uh, that's Neil Gaiman. Give me a sentence that he's read, and I read it and put them side by side. Oh my yeah. gosh! I'm telling you, the, you've got the voice. You, you can narrate his books, and nobody would be the wiser. <laughs> I'll get my copy of American Gods down. I'll start. Reading yeah, it. yeah. Shadow, go, 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 go get the Wednesday. Yeah. What? It's going. On. Oh gosh, that was very Keanu Reeves. <laughs> That's got a bit bit Shatner there, you know. Yeah. My God, Spock. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think you could do Coraline. I think you could you could read Coraline and it'd be you yeah. would have it would have a bestseller on on Audible. I can do audio books. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, reading Neil Gaiman's audio books. Exactly. <laughs> or just start writing fanfic and then not narrating your own fanfic. Yeah, send it to me. I'll read it as Neil Gaiman in his voice and put the breaks in so I know where to stop talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, put, I'll just put little tildes or something. Halfway like through a sentence, just stop. <laughs> I love you, right. Neil. Yeah, we do. We do. We love you, Neil. Um, all right. So, what are you working on now? So, the coward's done. The sequel's done. I've started the first book of a new trilogy. Uh, the first draft is done, actually, as well. Um, so, it went to my agent, and she's gave me some notes. So, I'm doing the edits on that over the next few months. Um, and then later this year, we'll see if it needs another edit or not. But in theory, it's not going to be out until 2023, maybe? <laughs> or maybe. or very, very late next year. I don't know. I just kind of wait and see, you know, send it to my agent and see, see if we can find a publisher for it. But um, yeah, so it's a trilogy. I've got loads of books on research for it. It's very different again. Um, I always want to do something different and stretch myself. So this is a very different kind of animal, and I can't really talk about it much without spoiling massively. But it is fantasy, um, and it's yeah, it's interesting, and I'm pushing myself. And actually, it's the longest one I've done. It's 100. The first draft was 146,000, which compared to some people, you know, do 200, 400,000. But for me, that's quite long. But I, I've got to cut. I've got to cut like 20k out of it. So. <laughs> That's my challenge, amongst other edits, is cut twenty k. So, anyway, best you know. of luck with that. So, do you yeah. have a do you have a do you have a title for for the for the second quest uh, book? Um, yeah, so the second book uh, of the Quest for Heroes. If you pick up the paperback, there is a, uh, chapter one of the new book, and Ooh. it tells you what the title is. You have to pick uh. it up to find out. Uh. <laughs> cheeky, you got cheeky. the audio <laughs> was, was it not in the audio book? It wasn't in the audio book. <gasps> you see, paperback is king. Uh -huh. it's, I think uh, I have a paperback on. I think I have a paperback on, on the way. I could flick through, but I'm not going to show you. No. Oh, you would. You would do that. Can can, I, can you show everybody the cover up close? Since yeah. you have a copy, I just have mine on black and white Kindle. Oh, look at that so beautiful. Book. The other thing. The other thing about it is, is the map. So, um, uh, Tom Parker did the map for the front of in the the front of this. It's uh, it's a beautiful map. I did a hand drawn scribble that was awful, and he turned it into something amazing. Um, they're sold out now, but there was these limited edition maps. Um, so in in the front of the book, you get a smaller version, but this is the larger version of the map. Ooh, look at that! And anybody uh, who's wondering, Tom Parker also did uh, the illustrations in the Bone Chips books by Barker. Yeah, he did um, RJ's. Not not to get book. not to get the two confused, Parker and Barker, but yep. Parker did illustrations in Barker's books. <laughs> That's the Wounded Kingdom map from RJ's oh, first trilogy. Tom so did the map for that as well. It's so nice. So I was like, "Yep, I'll have one of them, please, Tom." And so he's done the map for me. <laughs> so yeah, yep, go, ahead put me, go ahead, put me down for one of those. <laughs> yeah, put me down. So there's a smaller version in the book, but uh, yeah, that 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 limited edition version, it, they're gone. They were already gone already. So. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, so The Coward Quest for Heroes number one comes out next week. Uh, you yep. can pre-order pretty much anywhere. Uh, I highly recommend pre-ordering from The Broken Binding, uh, where you can – I believe they still have some uh, signed book plate editions. Yeah, I'm sign I'll am sign books for them, yep. Yep, so uh, definitely check that out. Um, I'll have a link below as well as all of Steven's 
social media and his website and everything. So make sure you go give him a follow. Um, Steven, thank you so much for popping on and, and chatting. Uh, some, some, some about books, some about a lot of other different things. <laughs> always the way. It's good. Yeah, it's good. exactly. It's, it always goes off the rails somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, enjoy the rest of your week. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll have my post up tomorrow for the, for the Angry Robot Tour. And um, everybody, cool. make sure to check it out. But, uh, Stephen, it's good talking to you. And we'll do this again. Thanks for having us.